Welcome to The Kids Are All Right, the podcast that explores big global issues from a young and fresh perspective. I'm Noloazim Joacha, originally from South Africa. I moved to Paris, France three years ago to pursue a master's degree. I'm a news enthusiast and have always been interested in what young people think and are doing to address some of the things I read about in the news. Before we begin, here's a message from my colleague, Mega Thomas, who helped me produce this podcast. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. The Kids Are All Right was produced by a team of students and aspiring journalists interested in learning more about some of the biggest issues facing the global community. From social media fame, to the Venezuelan crisis, to climate change, we've reached out to young people and experienced professionals alike in order to provide you with different perspectives on hot topics. We hope you enjoy it. Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Kids All Right News or on Instagram at Kids Are All Right News. A baby born in war-torn Syria today has a better chance of survival than a newborn in Venezuela. This observation comes from the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, Louis Almagro. Venezuela is in the midst of an unprecedented economic and political crisis marked by severe food and medicine shortages, high crime rates, hyperinflation, and an increasingly authoritarian executive. Our reporter on this episode is Mega Thomas. Here she is to tell us more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mega Thomas, and I am 16 years old. I grew up learning Spanish and grew to love Latina culture as I went through high school. The Venezuelan crisis really stood out to me when we discussed it in my classes. From inflation and corruption, a refugee and humanitarian crisis was born. I spoke with two former residents of Venezuela, Valentina Salazar and Stephanie Alex, to get their take on how Venezuela has deteriorated in recent years. Hi, so I'm Valentina Salazar. I was born and raised in Venezuela. I left home when I was around 15, 16, and I've been outside um, for eight years now. And every year I've been going back home and just seeing how the crisis has been increasing. Hello, my name is Stephanie Alec. I'm 24 years old. I'm from Maracaibo, Venezuela, and I just graduated from the American University of Paris. I lived in Venezuela until I was 14, and then moved to the United States, and then after, moved to Paris. So, um, how did you end up leaving Venezuela? I got a student's visa to go to America to finish my high school. Um, I left due security reasons. I was having a lot of um, kidnap threats and attempts. So, my parents decided that it was best for me to just uh, go abroad. So, I traveled to the United States by plane. My family and I moved there, like I said, when I was 14, and we were granted our asylum very quickly because of the political situation that was happening. So in what major ways has it changed since you were a child and living there? Well, I left and I finished well, my last two years of high school in New York, going back home every year. And you could see that the crisis was um, getting worse at the time. For instance, you would see it with inflation. Inflation has a, has been the one thing within this cycle that just has kept um, increasing. So things that you could, couldn't do, uh, could afford in the past, you couldn't afford anymore. 
and also with fast crime and um, kidnapping. And something that has actually happened in the most recent years, um, since last time, uh, the last three times I was there, it's hunger. You see people trying to go into the trash cans to eat food, to find anything to feed themselves and their families. So I think that's like the one thing that has become more impressive to me as well every time I've gone back. Here's Stephanie again. Growing up in Venezuela was beauty and madness. While I was there, I really enjoy the softness of people and the colorful traditions. Um, but then I also saw how chaotic political agendas divided families and friends, including my own family. And I also witnessed the lack of basic resources, such as medicine and staple foods. Valentina, your parents run a private clinic in Venezuela. How difficult has it been for them to secure supplies and medicine? Um, nowadays, none of the pharmacies have any medicines. My dad himself, he's insulin dependent, and he can't find insulin for himself. Even him, you know, being the owner of the clinic and having the pharmacies, is not even that you can afford them, is that there's, no, there's none. So, for instance, I myself have to buy um, insulin in bulk, and send it to him. Um, and that being said, when you send things through uh, mail or post, um, you are always uh, going through the risk that the government is going to take it once it arrives to Venezuela. Goods are not the only thing in short supply, though. Public services like education have also seriously deteriorated in quality. Stephanie, could you tell us a little more about how the educational system has been affected by the economic crisis and political atmosphere? When it comes to higher level education at the university. Um, I never had a chance to attend a Venezuelan university, but I have friends and family members who, are, who are, are currently enrolled in Venezuelan universities. And most of the time they tell me that they feel very frustrated because of the lack of resources that the universities can offer to them because there are not enough professors or they don't have electricity every day of the week, so they cannot learn. Can you imagine if they're like learning how to do surgery and then like there's no electricity, like obviously they cannot go to class. So in the recent months, Maduro has been reelected um, and obviously there have been some responses to that in the international community. So how do you think this re-election will affect the ongoing crisis? And how do you think the youth and population in Venezuela and around the world will react to this? I think that the most important part about spreading awareness is shedding light to the darkness that Maduro's government has tried to, to preserve. Um, and by that, I mean that we need to continue the conversation Every time or every other time I meet someone that are not very informed about the situation, they cannot even fathom the, the fact that Venezuela is in such a bad state. Here's Valentina again. The international community has realized um, how or the extent of how much of the fraud was as the numbers were completely faked and the information was just so obviously not correct and illegitimate. So right now over 14 countries in Latin America and the U.S. and Canada also don't recognize elections. Right now the violence is 
so present that people are afraid of losing their lives just by taking on the streets. Um, and not only that, the government has also been known for um, imprisoning uh, people and actually torturing them. Uh, that a majority of them actually being underage. So because of that, people are not taking on the streets. And I think this is something that when the Venezuelans that are within Venezuela are being deprived of their, of their voices, that's something that right now, as an outs as outsiders and Venezuelans in the Venezuelans in the outside, we have to, you know, um, speak out for them. Next, we turn to Bernd de Busman, who worked for Reuters in Latin America. So, um, Valentina is one of the young women that I have interviewed, and she mentioned that her parents um, run a small clinic in Venezuela, but as of now, they are lacking medical supplies and necessary materials to effectively treat their patients who are coming to their clinic. So, um, Mr. Guzman, would you mind going into details on what kind of crisis the health industry is undergoing in Venezuela right now, and what are the roots of this crisis? What happened to Venezuela is, you know, there, there used to be a saying saying there are no good presidents or bad presidents in Venezuela. There are only presidents with high oil prices and low oil prices. But uh, now they have no, basically, they have no, no money to import anything. And the only thing that Venezuela actually produces, or 96% of it, is, is oil. And there's no revenue from oil, so the, there's uh, no money for imports. So there, so there are no medicines. Do you think the reception from the international community on this? Several countries did respond to the re-election of Maduro. So how do you think this will affect the crisis at hand? Do you think that international action will be? Um, committed and will be taken against the crisis now that Maduro is entering another term of his presidency? No, I think other than, other than pointing out that these were extremely flawed elections, I think nothing, and complaining about, uh, you know, social, <coughs> Maduro's socialism, I think nothing much will happen because an economic boycott would hurt the... Um, you know, the majority of Venezuelans more than the government, which has been the case for most boycotts. So, no, I think nothing nothing much will happen. Even if there is a change, it will have to come from inside. Censorship has been a big thing that the Maduro administration has imposed on the public. And the other young woman that I was interviewing, Stephanie, she left the Venezuelan community in order to pursue a career in journalism because she wasn't able to do so with the censorship in the country. So how has censorship affected the population and is it solely against anti-Maduro groups or is it also against the access to information internationally or from outside sources outside of Venezuela? You know, they have uh, passed rather drastic laws on on free expressions on the internet, where you are supposed to portray a picture of harmony and peace, and uh, you can be uh, you can be prosecuted for quote unquote expressions of hate. But uh, <clears throat> they try to, other than threatening, 
they haven't been able to do anything to the internet. The problem, of course, is that not, not all that many people have uh, have access to to the internet in Venezuela. <clears throat> not all that many Venezuelans can afford an an iPhone or another means of uh, communicating with the world. Do you think there's a light at the end of the tunnel anywhere in the near future, or would it be more of a gradual recuperation? No, actually, I don't. I, I see no end at the light of this tunnel at all. And it's kind of a sad thing to say, but, you know, Venezuela is high up on top of my the list of problems that, that can't be I can't see being solved in the, in the near future or even in the long future. No, it is getting bad. It is getting from bad to worse. What will help, of course, is, you know, if there's more reporting, if there's more concern, there are more people doing exactly what you are doing. Because it's not, uh, at least in the United States, Venezuela is not much of a story. It's not, not reported very regularly. And so, you know, the world at large is not all that well informed or concerned. So, in fact, what you are doing is, you know, <laughs> one way to sort of awaken people to the crisis there's, that's going on there. The beauty of Venezuela seen in childhood experiences of Valentina and Stephanie has sadly degenerated. Education has stagnated and medical supplies are nowhere to be seen. Violence has broken out and all these factors contribute to the sad reality that Venezuela is not on the road to improvement anytime in the near future. Hopefully with greater awareness about the issue, it will be put back on the international agenda. Thanks for listening to Victims of Venezuela. You've been listening to an episode of The Kids Are All Right. It was a production from Podium.me and News Dakota. Tell us what you thought of this episode by tweeting us at Kids All Right News. While Israel might be one of the most accepting states of gay rights in the Middle East, gay men and women continue to face discrimination. We hope you tune in for our next episode on inequality. We'll be speaking to reporter Juliana Nicolucci Altman as she meets up with local gay rights activists Eyal Luri Pardes and Ira Kushner, the LGBTQ campus representative at the Hebrew University Rothberg International School.